Hello and welcome to another episode of Below the Fold. This is episode six in season five. Today's guest is Steve Pearson. Steve, you're the CEO and founder of Friendemic, is that right? Uh, I'm the CEO. Interesting story, though. I'm actually not a founder. Oh, okay. So uh, we'll d- we'll dive into that in a little bit. So Steve is the CEO of Friendemic, a local Utah company, uh, and, and and we'll dive into that. But first, um, Brandon, do we have any uh, outstanding business items? Just a shout out to the Stone Shiva. Ah, yes. For letting us record here. That's right. So we are recording at the Stone Shiva in downtown Provo. Uh, if you want to start your own podcast, you're welcome to get in contact with thestonesheba.com. I don't know. What's the email address? Thestonesheba.com. Okay. Scroll down. Just go to thestonesheba.com. Tell you all about it. Yep. Okay. So uh, before we really dive in, uh, I'm just going to play the, the theme music real quick. Okay, Steve, uh, Friendemic is in Salt Lake City, is that right? That's right. We're headquartered in Salt Lake City. We uh, have a pretty national presence, though. We also have offices in Dallas, uh, Cookville, Tennessee, which is outside of Nashville, and uh, San Diego. Okay, that's, that's, that's pretty cool. Tell us, uh, so there, there are two questions. One is give us a little bit of an intro or origin story of Friendemic, and then how your paths crossed with them and how you became their CEO. Great. So uh, Friendemic was founded in, in late 2010 by some good friends of mine. Um, one of them, uh, his name is Brigham White, uh, has a, an extensive uh, advertising and marketing background, you know, worked for Crispin Porter, went to Miami Ad School and was kind of doing the big agency thing in you know, 2007, 2008. And uh, it's hard to remember, but social media did exist back then, but it was very different, you know, uh, Mark Zuckerberg was still saying that Facebook will never run ads and that's not what we'll do. And if you wanted to be a business on Facebook, you know, you literally had to sign up as a person with some sort of fake name. There were no business pages and it was a, a, a different world. Instagram um, didn't exist at the time. Nope. <laughs> and, and so, you know, Brig was working with a lot of these brands who were at the forefront of a lot of this, you know, this was, you know, if you remember way back when, like the Ford Fiesta movement and, you know, Skittles and, you know, brands that were pretty forward thinking and were playing around with this social media thing. And, and you know, Brie kind of had this aha moment that, you know, look, the, these big major national, international brands have the foresight and the budgets and the resources to be thinking ahead here. But given what social media is, isn't it really the small business and particularly the local business that's going to benefit the most from this, not the big national brands? You know, for these big brands, Social media is just another place to get your message in front of, you know, eyeballs and eardrums. Uh, but, you know, it's not necessarily as differentiating for them versus their other, you know, media options. Whereas for a local business, this was game changing. Yeah. And so he said, you know, look, I'm, I'm going to ditch the big agency world and, and I want to go try to, you know, bring the power of social media to, to the, the local business. Okay, that makes sense. Let me stop you real quick, just because I know you haven't answered the second part of the question. There are a lot of people who don't know what Friendemic is or does. So let's actually t- just spend a, a couple minutes. Tell us why anyone should care about what Friendemic is or how they could benefit from them. Ah, absolutely. Thanks. So uh, Friendemic uh, helps local businesses uh, bring their customers through the digital customer experience. You know, we, we see a lot of business owners who look at prospects and customers and say, 
I can use your digital to get you to my store. But then they forget that the, the digital experience continues to live on. They think of it as a lead gen tool yeah, and yeah. nothing more. Yeah. But you know, for all of us as consumers, if you take a step back, we all know that's nonsense. I mean, w when you're at a place of business, your smartphone is still in your pocket or actually probably not. It's probably in your hand while you're at the place of business and you know, you're showrooming and looking at what prices might be elsewhere. You're, you know, chatting on social media. You, yeah. you, I mean, we're always connected. Um, and so we provide a number of software tools and solutions to help businesses continue to interact with customers, both, you know, traditionally in, in, in the digital sense of, of bringing you in and, and doing lead gen, but then tools to help your employees really interact with your customers at your place of business and then continue to follow up and, and interact with them beyond that and, and make uh, the, the customer's journey digital all the way through and more relationship-based and transaction-based. So when we talk about the funnel, the marketing funnel, uh, you just mentioned kind of taking the experience beyond uh, the sale, right? So the funnel, the marketing funnel usually ends at the sale. Uh, do you guys participate at all in the funnel as a lead gen or are you mostly after the sale is done, you're now a technology that can help uh, upsell or um, create a better experience for your customer rather than uh, you know, a, a prospect? Where, where do you lie in the, in the full experience? Yeah, our, our tools uh, can be used throughout the funnel. So uh, it might be easiest to even just dive into specifically what, what they do. Um, yeah, so we, we provide tools that make it really easy for employees of a business to create and share video with prospects. But you could also use that to just create and share a video with a current customer or a past customer. Okay. Um, we provide tools that make it easy to, uh, for your employees to capture digital content for use in marketing in a way that uh, is compliant with, with uh, brand rules and, and allows the, man the business to still be able to manage that. You know, one, one of the pain points we saw with a lot of our clients was that um, you, you want your social media properties to be organic and engaging and, and have real content from your place of business, but you know, you're uncomfortable just giving access to your digital properties to all of your employees. So instead we provide an app where your employees can easily, you know, capture photo, video, it's, and so on, provide notes with it, but it all ends up living in the cloud where your marketing team or managers can review it, preview it, edit it, control it, decide when and where and how it posts. Okay. So what about, um, your, your user base? Are you, are you considered a suite of tools and people come in and a la carte pull tools that they feel they need? Or are you trying to pull in customers that will use the full suite along the whole process of their customer's journey? Uh, more the former, uh, you know, people can buy pieces that fill the needs they have. We certainly think it works much better if you buy the full suite. Um, if for no other reason than, you know, you only have that one app and all the pieces are, are in that app. So you're not trying to train your employees on multiple different processes, but we have, we have many clients that buy the full suite. We have a lot of clients that just buy a piecemeal. Okay, cool. What, uh, what is the, uh, who's your target audience? Who, who are the people who are using your platform? Uh, great question. And that's probably why many listeners have never heard of us before. Uh, we focus very heavily on the automotive sector. So we work with uh, many, many uh, franchise dealerships across the country. Uh, we work very specifically with a number of the major brands, uh, you know, Chrysler, Porsche, several others. But outside of automotive, we, we uh, you know, don't have a lot of presence. Our tools certainly work well 
for you know any businesses that um, you know have have a lot of regulation and brand compliance needs are multi-location um, you know B2C businesses and we have clients outside of automotive but our, our energy and our efforts and our marketing have always been to the automotive sector so in, in some ways I think we're a, a little bit of a sleeper here in Utah uh, you know we're, we're a fairly good sized business but uh, many people have not heard of us you're yeah. focused in automotive but you do service anyone who who comes across for endemic is that right uh, if, if we think it's a good fit okay. you know uh, um, all, all of our efforts in in prospecting and marketing and sales are targeted in automotive but if other businesses come our way that that uh, you know can benefit and we think share a lot of those same needs and characteristics you know we're, we're happy to to bring them on gotcha okay is there a reason automotive was picked as like the the focus niche i mean if, if the product works with a number of, of industries was it because the founders had like initial connections and that was kind of the easy way to start or it was a niche that wasn't served very well you know gr- uh, we could go so many places with that question, but uh, yes, yes, and yes. Um, <laughs> I think uh, you know, as, as, as we talk about entrepreneurs and, and others who might be listening to this, uh, the truth is there's a lot of serendipity in in, in how things play out. And uh, you know, we certainly could have been um, a player in other verticals or, or in many verticals. And uh, you know, for a number of reasons, it, it made a lot of sense to focus. Um, but you know, I, th- I think generally businesses face that choice. You know, Do you want to you know, have a, uh, a broad product set, but focus very specifically on, on one industry, which is really kind of what we have. I mean, we're, as you mentioned, we're, we have two, several tools across the funnel, but we're really targeted on one industry, or do you want to have that one product and, and, you know, kind of go broad, but, uh, you know, we're all resource constrained and, and, uh, well, I'd love to sell to the whole world. You know, we wanted to focus on, on one area and do it really well. Who are your main competitors? Uh, so we, we run into uh, reputation.com and podium quite a bit on the uh, you know the the reputation side yeah now you, you definitely see that high in the funnel in terms of um, yeah, using your reviews to bring customers in but we generally think of that as a you know at, at after sales at the very very bottom of the funnel you know ha- continuing to engage with your customers after they've purchased um, learning about their experience getting them to write reviews or uh, share feedback so you can improve your processes um on the uh um, content side you know, we we see um a number of the major uh, publishing tools we'll run into occasionally that have some similar capabilities in terms of you know an app that people can use to easily collect and share content uh, but generally they have a very different focus than we do where we're looking a lot at you know how, how do you um, manage that process for many people who um, are not intended to have you know, full access to those properties. Um, whereas the social publishing tools are generally geared towards exactly the opposite. You know, how do I make this super easy to post? We're saying, no, 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 I want it easy to capture the content, but actually mm-hmm. hard to post to make sure that uh, you're not posting things that would, um, you know, get a dealership in trouble with the, the FTC for, you know, advertising, uh, you know, pricing that they yeah. aren't going to honor yeah. or who knows. Um, on the video side, uh, you know, we've seen a lot of, of um, video tool companies pop over the pop up, uh, most of them are, are still fairly small, um, but uh, one we run into quite a bit in the automotive space, for example, would be CoVideo, if you've heard of them. I have not. I've heard of the name. Never looked into it, though. Okay, so I'm, what I'm trying to get at here, I want to I break Friendemic into different categories, right? And then, and then once we have a clear idea of what the categories are, I want to go into best practices within those categories. So one of them you've mentioned is kind of reputation management. That's the solicitation of reviews, which... 
um, we can get a little bit more into. Another one you mentioned was video. Uh, what what other categories could you put Friendemic in where you guys feel like you're an expert in that field or industry? And then we can dive in and say, hey, if people are interested in, in upping their reputation management game, what are some of the best practices that they can apply to their business uh, in order to kind of capture the, the that a piece of that expertise that you guys have? Yeah. Great. So, uh, you know, I think reputation management, exactly like you said, uh, both on, on the tools for you to do it yourself, as well as on the services side, we do offer a number of things to um, help business owners, uh, you know, manage that if they don't want to do it themselves. So like respond to mm -hmm. the reviews, things like that. Yeah. Yep. And, and that's a differentiator versus many of the, you know, the podiums and the bird eyes and so on that are purely software players. So real quick, just cause we just had uh, jump on, mm -hmm. are, is there overlap there? Is there, are they considered a competition at any level? Um, you know, I, I've, I've uh, met some folks at jump um, and uh, I can't say I know their business super well. We don't run into them in the market much. My, gotcha. my understanding is they do a lot more work um, through channel partners and targeting more on the, the S of the SMB. Gotcha. Um, yeah. And we certainly don't see them in automotive. Okay. Okay. That's helpful. Okay. So reputation, you had mentioned video. Yeah. Video, I'd say social content uh, management. Okay. So is that like writing their post for them or probably responding on their social channels? What, yep. So, so we definitely do both of those things. I would say the core of our offering there though, again, comes back to how do you get your employees to participate in that process? You know, I, I, we have a content creation team. They do a lot of great work and uh, you know, no disrespect to them whatsoever, but they'll never create content as good as what a client could create themselves. Sure. You just need to give the client the right tools and, and, structure for them to really participate in that process and and so we we do try to play on both sides of that okay um and then the last one i would say is, is uh, facebook advertising we're we're certainly not uh you know a, a, a monster in that space uh but uh, a lot of this ties together um and so we do run a number of ads for our our clients uh primarily on facebook okay cool so um i i think that gives us a really clear understanding of of the expertise that you bring I think, I think we'd love to uh, hop into each of those categories and just say, hey, if people are struggling or looking to, to you know, make their business better in these areas, what are some of the things that they can do? Uh, the easy answer would be hire Frendemic, but if, uh, let, let's share your expertise and, and see if we can't uh, show off your, the expertise that you have. Yeah, uh, uh, happy to. And, uh you know, again, if, if somebody does want to work with us, we're happy to work with you. But I think I can say perhaps more than some of your other guests on the podcast, uh, I'm, I'm more than willing to just give out advice here since it's probably not likely you have a lot of uh, franchise automotive dealership general managers or, or dealer principals listening, listening right to now. the podcast. Yeah, it could <laughs> be. That's probably true. Did you mention how big like the company size, like employee bases? Uh, we're about 75 employees. And uh, we currently work with uh, close to a thousand franchise dealerships in the country. And okay. to, you know, to give context, there's about eighteen thousand franchise dealers in the country. So, you know, well, we're not uh, you know the eight hundred pound grill in the corner. We we definitely have a you know, we're, we're we're a well known player in that space. And how big is the marketing team within your company? Uh, two, like two people. Oh wow! So is is sales a bigger portion of the company? Uh, sales is four. Sales is four. So wow. no. What's we, most of the company like <laughs> developers or? Uh, yeah, we've, we've got about 15 folks on our product team. Uh, we've got about 20 folks on our client success team. So that, that's our biggest, uh, individual team by itself. And, you know, they're the folks that are 
you know, contacting the clients and, and making sure they're using the tools and, and getting what they paid for and, mm. and building and managing those relationships. Um, and then we have our services team. So these are the folks that are, you know, uh, creating the content for clients that want us to actually create and post for them, responding to comments on social channels, uh, responding to online reviews on behalf of clients. Uh, and then, uh, um, we also have a, a small ads team that are, are running Facebook ads. So that's a uh, you know, services sales product. Um, you know, of course we have a, a small, um, you know, finance administrative team, but, uh, you know, we not, not a huge company from headcount, yeah. but, uh, that is a question we get very frequently from, you know, when you, when you look at the headcount of our organization versus mm-hmm. other companies, uh, you know, we, we definitely invest a lot less in, in sales and marketing. Yeah. Well, yeah. And I've seen, I mean, other competitors or companies that are in like the reputation management, when I talk to them and ask about employee base, it's like, Hey, we've got two floors of sales people yep. and like we just sell 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 which yeah then you're in the risk of well what happens once you have so many customers are they being taken care of by reps and stuff like that but that's so yeah. two people I, I as a marketer obviously i'm always curious like with the amount of success that you have how big is the marketing team two people is really cool but you said there's people over ads is that separate outside of the two people oh yeah the, the folks that are running ads are running ads on behalf of our clients uh oh, okay I very rarely are they running you know media spend for ourselves and what is your i mean you're the top dog so i mean you probably get the bird's eye view but do you know what your marketing team generally focuses on to bring in more clients for friendemic sure as far as like the big areas that they're seeing success in yeah you know we're a little bit of a different business in that you know we focus very much on on one vertical mm-hmm. and so That's nice uh you know we we, we go to a handful of, of very specific trade shows each year and our marketing team, you know, does quite a bit in, in preparation for those shows, both, you know, pre, during and, and post show. Mm. Um, we do a number of webinars each year uh, targeted to dealerships. And, and these are typically paid webinars, you know, through um, uh, companies that have you know, large subscriber bases and automotive mm-hmm. and, and, you know, will promote paid webinars. Um, we uh, do a lot of marketing and relationship building through the automotive manufacturers. And, and that's, you know, been a, a key source of success for us where, you know, instead of pounding on the doors of all these dealerships one by one, you know, we work very closely with the manufacturers. We um, have a, a certified vendor status with many of them and we work through their field teams and say, you know, okay, you know, you're the field manager for the, you know, 30 BMW dealerships in this region. Yeah. You know, which of your dealerships are struggling with this and where could we help? And, and you'll get warm intros that way. Interesting. So event marketing sounds like it's pretty big for you guys in terms of like just going to trade shows and whatnot, maybe more so than running Facebook ads and SEO. Like, do you know if SEO is like a big thing for if people are seeking out the software for automotive? You know, it, 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 it's certainly something we see a lot of our competitors do a lot of. Uh, it has not been something that's been very successful for us. Yeah. Um, and I think a lot of that's just driven by, you know, competition. I mean, you, yeah. you look at the you know, BirdEye and Podium and Reputation.com and, you know, these businesses that, uh, you know, received large sums of venture capital money where, whereas we've been almost entirely bootstrapped. Um, you know, that's, you know, when, when you look at what they're paying at on, what they're likely paying on, on, you know, cost per customer acquisition, mm-hmm. um, yeah, it, it never was something that made sense for us to compete heavily in. And, and we didn't need to. Have you ever heard of a dealer track? Before? Definitely. Yeah. They're, they're one of the major, uh, DMS players in the automotive space and, and have a significant presence uh, here in Utah. They, yeah. um, there's a, a previous 
DMS. It's essentially the accounting and inventory and central hub tracking mm-hmm. system for automotive dealerships. A, a previous one called Arcona that I believe was Utah born and bred, but they were here in Utah and a, a significant player. And I believe dealer track bought them in 2004 or so. Oh, okay. And then, uh, um, dealer track also has been going through a number of, of changes themselves. Yeah. I have a girl on my team who she came from dealer track. So yeah, and, great, and great I was company. asking her about marketing. They did a lot of events and yep. trade shows. So it seems like it's kind of your, if you're in the automotive trade shows, seems like it's one of the bigger areas. Jamie's there, right? Uh, Jenkins. Oh yeah. She's maybe at, she's yeah, at dealer track. So what about, uh, so I, I mean, it sounds like you've got your, your grasp, like pretty well gripped on the automotive space. Do you have plans on expanding your focus into other industries as a growth method? Uh, you know, if and when we we uh, you know, see a need, uh, we've certainly thought about it many times. Uh, but you know, we think there's plenty of, of space for us to continue to expand with within automotive, and uh, you know, we'll we'll keep our eye on the prize until things change. Until it's just drought season. <laughs> or, or or if you know we had significant more resources and, and wanted to try to accelerate our growth path but uh you know again I, I think compared to most of the companies we see ourselves competing with we, we have a very different background and profile in that uh you know we're not uh you know we didn't have venture capitalists dump a giant pile of money in our laps and yeah. say you know grow it 300 percent or die and so you know we, we've been able to take a fairly different approach gotcha so let's let's dive into each category real quick and uh, and see if we can pluck out some some gems as far as best practices in each of these. Um, and let's uh, let's start with Repman. Great. So in reputation management, I'm just going to kind of flow through my ideas of of how Repman is done, and then you can kind of either poke holes or uh, fill in the gaps or whatever. So from a reputation management standpoint, this is ratings and reviews online. So small businesses thrive, especially in the local space when they have their customers advocating on their behalf through reviews and ratings online. Absolutely. From a ranking standpoint, uh, I mean, you have my, the Google My Business pages, you've got Yelp, you've got all sorts of ra- rating reviews that if your business is present, that's the lifeblood of, uh, of those platforms, or at least visibility. Absolutely. I, I, you know, for local businesses, it's not uncommon at all for me. If, you've, you know, if you Google that business's name, the entire first page of Google results is, you know, the business's own website and nine review sites. Right. Yeah. You know, yeah social platforms the, or review sites, especially for the branded, uh, the branded searches themselves. Yep. So a company like Friendemic, I imagine the, the service that you offer is you connect likely to the customer's CRM. And when a customer is input into the CRM, it triggers likely a text or an email or both, or uh, I don't know, a uh, phone call. I don't know. Uh, basically soliciting a review and uh, and then if the person had a good experience they say sure I'll leave a review Uh, and then you give them options of platforms they can go to and and likely the customer has the ability to determine what platform gets the first priority as far as where the customer goes they leave a review the the company with the most reviews has the the best visibility and therefore they have the best chance of getting future prospects is that, I mean, what am I missing there? Uh, you know, a number of things that add to that. I think, I think what you succinctly and, and, and very clearly described was, was how most marketers think of the process. Okay. Um, 
you know, obviously we, we bring our own special sauce. And, and so a number of things you said that I think are, are not best practice. It's certainly the most common practice in the industry is, is what you outlined. Um, I think the first thing I would say where, where we different, where we differ from many of our competitors is, um, you soliciting a review is what a lot of our clients and business owners want, but that's not actually how we like to think of it. I mean, ultimately what you're soliciting is customer feedback and there's a difference, right? Like I'm, I'm not just trying to get you to go put five stars on some site. I genuinely want to hear what you have to say, because even if it's negative, that gives me, you know, good information on how I need to change and improve my business process. Yeah. So, you know, we, we definitely want clients who, who have that perspective. Um, the next thing I would say that differs, you know, from, from your outline is, uh, we definitely do integrate into our clients, you know, backend systems and can fully automate the review process. Just like you said, we think of that as the baseline, that's the good, but there's a much better way to do it. Okay. And that again is with a mobile app in the hands of your employees. Right. If I get an anonymous text message or email from some business I interacted with that says, hey, please tell us how we did. You know, we live in a world now today where probably every one of us is getting you know, a couple of those a day. Um, and you know, response rates aren't what they used to be. And even when people do respond, it, you're, you're not giving the kind of information that actually will be helpful to that business or to other consumers in many cases. The much better way to do it, we think, is to have your employees at the point of sale make a personal request. You know, thank you so much for coming in today. I really hope you enjoy your new vehicle. As you know, so many businesses live and die on on their online reputation. And, you know, I'd love to know how we did. Can I send you a text message right now with a link to our Google page? I'd love it if you could take a minute to write feedback. And, you know, right there on my phone, I can type in their phone number through our app. So again, your customers, you know, names or information are never living on your employees' personal devices. It's all in the app through the cloud. Yeah. And, you know, I shoot you a text message right there with a link and make it easy. But that, that's gonna, always going to get a better response rate. But more importantly, that's always going to get a much better review. Um, I think another place where we differ from many of our competitors, um, you know, quantity is good. Don't get me wrong. And, and you know, I, I'm not trying to argue that, you know, businesses don't want more reviews. But, uh, you know, I think I get tired of businesses that are just constantly chasing you know, the maximum number of reviews. And I think consumers are getting to that point as well. Um, you know, I'll, I'll be curious to see how this plays out in the industry. There's a lot of businesses now that have, you know, thousands and even tens of thousands of reviews. You know, at what point does the marginal value of one new review, you know, approach, you know, less than the cost of what you're paying, you know, some of these providers to help you get a ton of reviews. Yeah. I think for many businesses, we're getting there. And so, you know, Frendemic would focus much more on the quality of those reviews than just, you know, can I get you a bazillion reviews? Um, you know, it's not infrequent now, actually, that when we run, uh, um, you know, account analyses on, on potential clients that we want to go win, you know, we'll find they're using a competitor of ours. They're getting a ton of reviews and their average score is actually declining each month, right? You know, they, they didn't have a lot of reviews before, but they're, you know, they had an average of 4.6. Well, now you, you know, you, you, you use one of these automated tools that is pushing every single person you talk to, to go leave your review and you're, you're stirring up a lot of muck on the bottom of the ocean. And so here they're paying one of our competitors to help them lower their score. Yeah. 
Yeah, that's interesting. Uh, so one one question I had as I was kind of looking through your website, I uh, so I'm familiar with Podium, and and this mm -hmm. is where this is the overlap with Podium. As I, far as I couldn't actually help but notice with a little bit of eye roll that uh, you're wearing a Podium sweatshirt right I am, now. <laughs> I am. I uh, is that a Podium? This is a Podium sweatshirt. Good eyes. I uh, yeah. So I I we work with Podium. Uh huh. Uh, and so I, I actually manage the reputation management uh, online for Viv and Smart Home. I, I manage the team that does that. Uh, if we were an automotive business, I, I would come knocking down your door with, with that kind of uh, expertise. Well, thank you. Uh, but there was a question that came up, and, uh, and this came up with our legal team. Uh, so I'm really curious, cause, and this was a while ago, so this, um, I, I could have my facts kind of wrong here. Uh, and I bring up Podium because when when we first started working with Podium, uh, they they would solicit a review, but before they did, they would ask the question, "Did you have a good experience?" Mm -hmm. And if the person said yes, then the solicitation would happen. If they said no, it would give them the opportunity to give private feedback that wouldn't see the light of day as far as the public uh, the public seeing that. So going through your website, it looks like that's the process that you guys do. Uh, when I when we talked to our legal team, they had problems with that because it, it's it's not considered a peer survey as far as uh, being able to solicit or um, make that kind of request to customers. Uh, again, this was like 18 months ago or more, uh, so I don't remember all the facts. But when I saw that, I was like, oh, I wonder I wonder if I'm misremembering or misunderstanding the idea of what a peer survey is. So we uh, Podium has since gotten rid of that, and now they just ask, will you leave a review? Period. Uh, but before that was a feature, uh, kind of platform wide, we had to like have them build it in to, to not ask that initial question, but just ask for the pure survey. I'm wondering if that has ever come up, uh, with your platform or, or where you guys stand with that. Yeah, absolutely. It's a great question. And, and, uh, um, an area that uh, continues to evolve. We see companies in the space taking very different approaches. The, the real driver here uh, that from my perspective in, in the industry is, is not actually the legal regulations so much as the platform terms of service. And so uh, yeah, I, I would say it was definitely standard industry practice. Oh, a year or so ago to first qualify people, you know, how was your experience? Then if they said it was good, ask them to leave a review. Yeah. yeah. Um, until I think it was in April of 2018, Google changed their terms of service where they said, uh, you can't, you can't do that. If you, you know, at, you can ask for people to tell you their experience, but you have to give them the option to write a view either way. Gotcha. Yeah. So, uh, our tool, you're right. We do ask people about their experience, but whether you say it was good or bad, we'll still provide you the link to go leave a review. And so, you know, we are compliant with Google's terms of service in that sense. But the, the reason we stick with that though, is that, you know, again, our, our perspective isn't so much, can I get you you know, a thousand reviews on Google in the next three months. You know, our perspective is, can I get you real quality, good customer feedback in ways that are going to benefit you? And, and what I find is that, you know, a lot of customers that had a negative experience actually don't want to write a public review, right? I mean, they realize that that hurts your business. They realize that that is painful for, you know, the employee who helped you. They don't want to make that public. And if all you do is give people an option for a public review, you miss out on that feedback. And so we do definitely ask, you know, how was your experience? And if it was negative, we give them the option to write a review or to you know, send that, that uh, in privately. And almost everyone who says they had a negative experience will send you private feedback rather than, rather than write a public review. Cool. That makes sense. Uh, I, I even like that. There's, um, 
something that we adopted from uh, this space, from Podium specifically, was um, we included that in our website. So mm-hmm. uh, we ask kind of an NPS survey uh, in, on the website, but within that, we, we do the same thing. Have you had a good experience? Yes. Here's a link to, uh, I don't remember where, Trustpilot or something like that. And then if they don't, we give them the option to give us the private right. feedback, which right. is... It does. It's it's super helpful to get that. But, you know, in a world that can often be a little disappointing when you read the news, it's actually nice to realize that, you know, we all have bad experiences with businesses. But for the most part, when people have bad experiences, they, they want to be professional and courteous to the business owner about it and give yeah. you a second chance and yeah, give you that right. feedback privately. It, I mean, it, you know, you, you go on Yelp and it looks like everyone just hates anyone they've ever you know done business with. But that's not really the reality. Gotcha. What? Uh, uh, so... I, I mean, I want to leave some time for some of the other categories, but um, what are some what are some of the pitfalls or the the things from a reputation standpoint uh, that companies aren't doing right? Yeah, I think the one we see the most is in responding to reviews that come in. Um, Like they're not responding, or they're responding poorly. Both, but mostly the former. Okay. Uh, I mean, that's the most common error in my mind. You know, I, I often just put it in in you know, personal terms when I speak with, uh, you know, a dealership or a client, if, if somebody walked into your showroom and said, you know, Jim was such a great salesperson. I love my new car. He did such a good job. I just wanted to tell you as the manager that Jim was great. I mean, would you plug your ears and walk away? I mean, of course not. Like someone took some time to give you genuine feedback and yeah. whether it was a compliment or a complaint, you know, to not take 30 seconds to just say, you know, thanks so much. That's great to hear. I, I just think, you know, we, we treat people differently online in ways that you would never treat someone in person. Yeah. And, you know, I, I think a lot of that is just a digital comfort level. You know, a lot of the people, particularly at car dealerships, you know, they're, they're not digital natives. They, they didn't grow up with this technology. And, you know, literally in many cases, you know, the business owner or the dealer, you know, the, the general manager, you know, doesn't have access to those social channels, doesn't even know how to respond. And, you know, that those kinds of efforts aren't, you know, as directly connected to, uh, you know, sales attribution. And so it's easy to get overlooked and it just doesn't happen. Hmm. So Chad Ingram is the CEO of jump. We asked him this question and I'm interested, uh, before we move on to the next category, what, what your opinion is, uh, which is worse, not responding to review or responding poorly to review and, and to get a little bit more specific about responding poorly this is like templatized responses that for every negative complaint, it's just a copy and paste, you know, something like, Oh, we're so sorry. You had a a negative experience. Please contact us at such and such email address. And that's just the same response or it's just, it's just poorly written or whatever. So, so the question being, which is worse, just ignoring it altogether or putting a ton of attention on it, but very poorly. Oh, well, I, I would say the templatized response is worse. Um, because I would argue that's not responding, right? That, 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 that's, you know, yes, technically there is a response, yeah, but yeah, yeah. I hear it's not saying. a real response. It's not someone who actually read this and is trying to do something about it or who cares in any way. Yeah. Um, that reminds me of an old saying, I'm going to butcher this, but because you reminded me, I'm going to try to say it anyway. Uh, it's better to be thought as stupid than to open your mouth and remove all doubt. <laughs> <laughs> So in, in that case, if someone is silent, not responding at all, people may assume that that company is dumb or stupid or not doing what's right. 
they don't know because they haven't opened their mouth yet. But if you start responding in a way that's that that proves that the company is dumb, all of a sudden you've removed the doubt, and now everyone knows that you're not a great company. Yeah. So uh, although even if you respond in a way that is stupid but genuine, I would argue that's better than not responding at all because, and again, many people don't realize this. You can edit your response to a review. I mean, on almost every platform, this is not a one sh- a one chance thing. Yeah, yeah. And so, you know, if you do have an employee who goes on and and makes a really dumb response, well, you're you know that customer is probably going to be even more angry, but they're probably going to contact you again. They're going to you know go back and edit their review. They're going to call, and you're still going to have a chance to do something. But if you have a templatized response or no response, what you're re- the the only response that really comes across is I don't care. Yeah. And then what feedback are you going to get from your customer? None. That's when your customer shuts down. And I think that's the worst outcome. Okay. I have a question yeah, about, ahead. so with responding to reviews, uh, and I'll give you a real life example. So I'm the director of marketing at Dev Mountain. And uh, for the most part, we have really good reviews of students who go through, they land jobs, they, they post good reviews. But like every type of education, you're always going to have a select amount of students who come in who are you know not committed? They have problems or whatever. They leave a bad review. So we just had uh, we just had a one star review a couple days ago, and you know there's always two side two sides to every story, right? Curriculum was terrible. Instructors didn't care about me. Yada yada yada. And so then and so we always you know approach whoever the instructor was. We try to get some more context. Talk to the admissions team, and then we usually kind of hear the real story of oh, okay this person didn't mention this, this, this. In some cases they violated rules and like urinated off a balcony and student housing. Like, Oh, you left that convenient part out and why you got kicked out of the school, <laughs> stuff like that. And in, in the audio industry, there's similar things where a customer is leaving out stuff, but where do you draw the line? Because they, especially when you're the business owner, it's even more personal when someone writes a review. And that's usually the, the first part is you got to like calm down, not take it personal. But in, in many cases, maybe it's some, I don't know, but, the, the context of that person leaving the review really helps everyone else understand the situation. But at the same time, you don't just want to roast the person and say, Oh, thanks, Darren. Well, here's what you're actually forgetting this, 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 uh, where do you draw the line? Like, do you have recommendations for your clients of when you're responding to a negative review and they're clearly like posting inaccurate information? This is, how you respond. Are there any tips that you give to those kind of people? Keep it very professional. We've seen, I've, you know, I've seen people getting very hot water on this. Mm -hmm. Uh, You know, I, I heard of a a dealership who received a one-star review from very angry customer said all sorts of terrible things, claimed that the dealership wasn't going to sell them their car because of their race. The dealership responded and said, no, we couldn't sell you the car because your credit score was X. (laughs) Yeah. And then of course the customer, you know, the, potential customer sued them for publicly revealing what their credit score was. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, so mm-hmm. you, you don't want to put any kind of personal information yeah. and even in terms of details of the situation, you know, urinating off the balcony, I'd stay away from anything like yeah. that. Um, yeah, the fact is most people out there reading these are pretty reasonable. And you know, if, if there's not going to be further value and more feedback from that angry reviewer, there is definitely value in what people's perceptions are going to be for everyone else who reads that. But I think a great response for situations like that, I mean, you, you said it already yourself. I think you can just simply say, um, you know, thanks, John, for sharing these comments, uh, you know, to anyone else who might read this review. 
you know, please trust us that there are two sides to every story. And if you're interested in learning more about Dev Mountain, we'd be happy to discuss the specifics of this situation with you. I don't think you need to say anything more than, mm-hmm. than something yeah, I, like I, that. I don't think this is a forum to try and solve problems. It's, it's, a, it's a forum to help people understand that you as a company are willing to talk and be open and... Uh, exactly. Anyway. I, you said that so well. Cool. Unless Thank you're you. Wendy's. Thank you, Steve. Wendy's goes right for the roast. That's right. <laughs> I actually was going to say that. In, in rare cases, right, the outlier companies who it's part of their brand to kind of combat, be combative in whether it's reviews or social media, uh, but that's rare. And, and in most cases, it, uh, it backfires. And even Wendy's, I'm not sure I see that on reviews. No, yeah, yeah. it's totally, yeah, they're, they're Twitter. They're Twitter. Yes. Uh, but that's, I guess that's one conversation point with the change of like social media, I feel like has drastically changed the way people leave reviews. Um, you have a, I mean, there's so many cases where people around me have a bad experience and they go right to Twitter or they go right somewhere and they tweet, like instead of taking the time to go to Yelp, they just hop right on there. And that's why so many companies have really evolved their customer support departments to start taking Twitter seriously because they realize, Oh, Delta, like everyone's complaining about, flight times and miss things like that. They're going right to our Delta account, not to our customer support email, not to their, does your company like, or just that's in the space. Are there ways that are, are, that you're adapting to that kind of environment where people are using social more and more as their quote unquote review or customer support platform? Absolutely. And, and you know, we've had this perspective for years that I would actually say the industry is, um, moved slower on this than I predicted, but I still think it's moving this direction that, you know, the line between social and reputation is very blurry Mm -hmm. and, you know, I'm not sure it even should continue to exist. Um, You know, as as people expect faster and faster and more real-time responses to, you know, reviews on traditional review networks, it starts to look more and more like, like social networks, but, you know, Facebook has, well now recommendations, but until recently reviews and, and still, you know, conceptually essentially the same. Um, you know, Yelp's algorithms are very closely connected to how many friends you have on Yelp and what other people say about how useful your review is. I, I mean, there are social components and review components on all of the social platforms and on all of the review platforms. And, you know, to, to have a strong strategy in place for reputation management that only focuses on the, you know, traditional one to five star review sites, I think is, is um, uh, you know, leaving a huge gap in your overall strategy. And, um, you know, frankly, something I see many of our competitors do, you know, they're, they're so focused on, I'm going to get you a zillion reviews on Google that, you know, kind of this more holistic idea of, you know, what can I learn from my customers to improve my business, regardless of what channel it comes in on is, is almost forgotten. Yeah. So it sounds like we're, we found kind of a natural segue between review or reputation and social. Uh, when we brought up Wendy's, uh, you, you gave this response like, well, this isn't Wendy's on their review stuff. This is them on social, more specifically Twitter. Do you think that the strategy changes if the customers are coming to you via review platforms, you've mentioned be as professional as possible. We've kind of talked through that. Does the strategy change on social or is it, or is it the same? Like if people are coming to you on social, they're not necessarily leaving a rating, but they are in a lot of cases leaving a review. Uh, what's the best practice for responding to those? Um, I would split the, uh, 
um, the type of inbound comment you get. And, and I think the strategy is going to be very different. You know, if, if it's a positive review, if you will, on, you know, Twitter or Instagram or something, um, you know, th then I think you have open season to engage and try to create a conversation out of it for the world to see and have fun and, and, uh, you know, let your hair down a little, if you will. Um, a lot of what we see are just questions and comments. Um, you know, someone's literally just looking for an answer. They're just looking for information. And, and I think, you know, maybe because of the way some of these brands are staffed, they, they sometimes take that the wrong way. You know, they think that question is a complaint. It's like, no, 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 that, that's actually someone with a question. They just yeah. wanted a, an answer. Yeah. Um, and then the complaints. I think on the complaints, the strategy is going to be very similar. I mean, at the end of the day, you want to make sure that you're learning from, you know, what the customer had to say. You're trying to resolve the customer's issue if you can, but offline, right? Um, you know, I don't think you want to be doing a lot of back and forth in the public eye trying to solve a customer's specific situation for, for many of the reasons we've enumerated. Gotcha. So uh, as I think about the differences between review platforms and social, there are a couple of distinctions that I think are important to mention. One, I think in most cases, review platforms are customers or people talking to other people. Whereas social, typically when they're talking to or about a company, it's to that company with the public almost watching, right? So they're like, hey guys, I'm talking to the, I mean, this is DMs out of, you know, right? Like, yeah. this is like, if you are on Twitter and you're talking to the company, in most cases it's public. The other, the other thing I'd say is that social is more fleeting. Reviews are more permanent, right? People can go through right. there. No one's gonna go through their Twitter feed for weeks and weeks and weeks trying to find those comments that were made six months ago. Uh, it's, it's, it's fleeting. So it's like, if, if people don't see this comment today or tomorrow, they'll likely never see it. Uh, which likely would change the strategy a little bit, considering that the review platforms are a little bit more of a permanent, uh, like your responses will be more public and more permanent. People will see them more often uh, and, and not, not, not in other areas like yeah. social. I, I'd agree with men, much of that largely, but I, I do think it's perhaps not quite as cut and dry as that. Um, you know, businesses that have large numbers of reviews, people don't read to your... 30th page of Google reviews. Yeah. So and, and to a certain extent, they are fleeting. Now, sometimes yeah. people will sort, I mean, certainly it's very common. People say, you know, I just want to read all your one-star reviews. Yeah. You know, people had a bad experience. What did they say? Um, but for the most part, yeah, I mean, I, I can think of dealerships right here in, in Salt Lake that have, you know, well over a thousand reviews on Google. Would you say I that think that's reviews common? 800, you know, 201 to 800, like almost never get seen. Right. So that they are a little fleeting in, in that. So regard. how often does that happen? Like, are those outliers? Are those companies no. that have more than a thousand reviews? Cause I'm, I mean, I'm a consumer brand is consumer. You're a consumer. Uh, reviews are pretty important. I, I think in our industry, we're probably a little bit more, skeptical of reviews because we know how to get them uh in ways that are not super organic uh but as a consumer yeah i see companies that have hundreds or thousands of reviews but i think in most cases it's far fewer than that mainly because most companies don't aren't savvy enough to know how to get them yeah and i think that's changing i mean again there's been a, a pretty strong proliferation of com of companies that are are pushing this and helping with this um but uh you know admittedly my viewpoint might be a little uh, myopic because i i mostly work with franchise automotive dealerships who are that makes you know, large yeah. businesses yeah, that, that have sense. a lot of volume. Uh, you know, that's, I mean, we certainly run into dealerships now and again, that still, you know, have less than a hundred reviews, but that's infrequent. 
you know, generally they're in the hundreds and, and I can think of many that are well into the thousands, into the thousands. Okay. And, and that's, you know, it's, it's only more and more like that every day. And, and so given that I think there actually is a, a bit of a fleeting nature to many of those reviews, um, you know, I would say that goes back to you know, one of our differentiating philosophies that, you know, if I had to pick, you know, get a hundred reviews a month for the next six months and then get two reviews a month after that, or get five reviews every month, I would take the latter. Right. I mean, what what you want is that consistency. There are recent reviews for me to go look at. I don't want to go to a page that, you know, in fact, when I, when I look at some, um, you know, former clients of, of some of our other competitors, I actually think their, you know, review platforms look awful, right? They have 3000 reviews, but they only have 20 in the last six months. Yeah. yeah. Well, now I immediately raise a red flag and say, oh, well, all their previous reviews were clearly, you know, generated by, as you said, you know, some less than organic means. Totally. And I, yeah you know, discount all 3000 of them. Yeah, that makes sense. So quickly shifting gears, I actually want to talk to Brandon real quick about this, just because both reviews and social media have a huge impact on SEO. Uh, if we were to compare the two, we talked about authority, right? From an SEO standpoint, which, which strategy do you think impacts SEO greater? Like between reviews, between and reviews and social, like you have social signals that are, that are, that are, adding to the authority of a uh -huh. website and you have reviews uh, on a profile that's connected to a website they both generate authority i'm wondering if you have an opinion on which one i lean towards reviews having a stronger i mean google has quote uh, said like twitter for example twitter metrics don't play a part i don't know if i necessarily believe them yeah um i think there's a lot of things google says that they don't actually do or vice versa but um yeah, I, I feel like reviews, especially with Google having like such a big presence in the review yep. community, I think there's... A, Google likes Google. Google likes Google, yeah. And uh, as we've noticed, like as our as we've beefed up reviews, we've noticed higher uh, rankings and whatnot yeah. for certain pages. So I think there's a strong correlation. So there. Steve, coming back here, is, that, is, this, is SEO a part of the conversation when trying to sell to new clients. So there's the, there's the aspect of, you know, client satisfaction, uh, having a good flow and process to get those reviews in, to get feedback. I mean, all that is super helpful to the company. What, where does, where does the SEO conversation happen or does it? We don't have engaged in that conversation in depth. Uh, you know, we, we certainly will mention to clients that, yeah, you know, there is an SEO benefit, yeah. but, uh, we're not an SEO firm. We're totally. not experts in that space. And, um, you know, we, we will often, uh, you know, want to talk to their SEO provider and, and, you know, I've never had an SEO provider unless they also competed with us, not be very supportive of totally. you know, their client also working with That's us. Right. Yeah. That makes sense. I will say, I guess to clarify my comments, I think, I think reviews play a much stronger, uh, have a much stronger play in SEO for local companies like brick and mortar stores, local services, you know, pest control, whatnot. Like if you, if you have a taco shop reviews, I believe are going to be a huge part, especially when people aren't really even finding your website per se, they're, mm -hmm. they're going right to the local review. So those, those local review packs are like life and death death for a lot of, uh, restaurants. Whereas if you're a software company based in Seattle, your Google reviews for your software, I don't think are going to play a super strong uh, 
factor in your your national rank- rankings. Yeah, your national yeah. rankings. I, I'd agree with that 100. percent You know, the, for the small local businesses, I, you know, that your, your hypothetical taco shop. I mean, your Yelp page and your Google My Business page are going to be infinitely more important than your own web page if you even have mm-hmm. one. Do you go to actual like? Let's say uh, I recommend a taco shop, some obscure road outside of Vivint. Do you like actually look up reviews? Not if the recommendation the is from you. Okay. Even if someone recommends it to me, I still like look it up. Do you? No, but then I the don't. question is, if you do look it up, do you go right to the Google listing or Yelp listing, or do you look for the website and then go to the website? I uh, honestly reviews. I, I look at reviews when they come to me. I, I don't go searching for them. The 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 platform that I look at the most for reviews is actually Goodreads. So I always hmm. look at the the reviews. That's one where there are no companies who are like manipulating the reviews. I shouldn't say that. I'm sure there are publishing companies who are doing that. But in, in a lot of cases, uh, the culture in the reading uh, space, which sounds weird uh, to say, the culture is if if you are like a part of some promotion, it's publicized, right? So if you get a book before it's published, uh, it's disclosed. And, and that's kind of like the culture that exists there. Not to say that uh, there aren't like super fake reviews out there but mm-hmm. for whatever reason i tr- i trust them more on on goodreads than than elsewhere interesting I, I think most consumers probably think they're the same way i think we all underestimate how often reviews come to you though you know um and again to use your example if, if you recommended that taco shop to me i probably wouldn't go look up reviews online but i would you know pull them up on google maps to find out how to get there and guess what there are their reviews yeah, staring right. me in the mm-hmm. face yeah you're right yeah totally uh, but yeah, uh, typically referrals from friends and stuff are enough for me. And then what if you looked it up and it was one and a half stars and there was 136 reviews and I'm like, dude, best tacos ever. Uh, I would totally second go- thoughts. No, I or don't. Because my recommendation. Here, oh, I dude, have second thoughts. Is- <laughs> I would come, I would tease you. <laughs> no way, man. This is like, like, like what am I spending here? Uh, $2 on a taco and I'm going to question my friend's. Uh, could be a lot of sick uh, people. risking norovirus. <laughs> uh, <laughs> maybe, maybe, but no, I, uh, no, I, w- I would still go. If, 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 if you're talking about like telling me that purple mattress is the best mattress you've ever had. Yeah. I'd probably go do a little bit more research cause that's a hefty amount of money that I'm going to be throwing on a mattress. Yeah. Although interesting, you bring that up. Yeah. You know, there's a super interesting article a few months ago about just how you know, corrupt, if you will, all those uh, mattress recommendation sites were and, and all the lawsuits back and mm. forth between these bloggers and, and the mattress companies. Oh, yeah. I think there's a quote in uh, The Godfather about something about mattresses, right? That's <laughs> that's how it is in, in that industry. It's cutthroat. Okay, we're actually running out of time. We have two other segments here, video and Facebook ads. I actually think I'd prefer to put those on hold, potentially bring you back sometime, talk through them, because I want to talk through, I want to get to digital marketing roulette. Digital marketing right. roulette. So uh, as Brian is getting the roulette table set up, just as a reminder, we've got 30-something slots on the roulette table uh, with corresponding questions. We'll roll the ball. It'll land on one of the numbers, which tells us which question Steve is going to answer for us. And again, these could be marketing-related. It could be fun. It could be would you rather. Uh, you ready, Brandon? I am ready. Yes, sir. Okay, here we go. Question number one, Steve. I'm hoping this is a would you rather question. Too bad you don't have control. <laughs> That's right. It's all random. That ball is really spinning there. That's right. That was a good spin. <laughs> all right. That was uh, Red 7. Uh, let's see what we got here. Okay. 
this is a new question, and I customized this question for today's conversation, so it was bound to be asked. Uh-oh. Uh, so we'll start with you, and then I'll, I'll quick get your opinion as well. This one's more of a fun one. We kind of already talked about this, but you're thinking about going to a new restaurant, but you want to check out the reviews first. What is your go-to review service? Your favorite one as a consumer? For a restaurant specifically? We'll start with restaurants, and if it differs overall. Yeah, it definitely differs. So yeah, we have Google, Yelp, TripAdvisor, all that stuff. Is there a go-to place that that's your favorite review site? Yeah, for a restaurant, it would be Yelp. For anything else, I'd generally go to Google. Interesting. Yelp. But that said, when I say go to Google, I'm not necessarily saying I'd go to the Google My Business page. I'd go to actual Google because then I can just easily get a quick summary of all their review sites, mm-hmm. right? I mean, yeah, because in most cases, Google is pulling from Yelp anyway exactly. and, and putting them in, in their right. business pages. Right. But for restaurants, I generally want to read the Yelp reviews and not just see the you know number and star summary there on the SERP. So you never go to the, the restaurant's website and read the reviews that they've published on their website? <laughs> <laughs> I've always thought that was weird when companies do that. I mean, we do that, but it's for an SEO purpose. Like they have a, they have schema markup for reviews. So mm-hmm. if you want to get your star rating in your organic or paid listing, uh, do you get rid of negative reviews? So, so we only show uh, four and five star reviews. Uh, right. So I actually, is that disclosed? No, is this it's a not, podcast no, listen, exclusive. This is a podcast exclusive, whatever. <laughs> I, I, but I will tell you, there are companies that will, will sh- share all the reviews all the negative, positive, and I love that. I love, I mean, you have companies like Amazon or like Best Buy where it's not really their product that's being reviewed, although Best Buy is probably more of a hybrid because they want you to buy from mm-hmm. them. But Amazon, you know, I've, I've learned over the last 12 months that Amazon's reviews are probably some of the least reliable out of all of them. There, 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 are, there are like black markets on Amazon. This is interesting. Black markets on Amazon uh, that use Facebook as their front and they have secret codes. Okay. Like uh, here's an example. I've never done it, but I have, I'll just tell you, my sisters have done it where on Facebook, they have these secret codes that say, if, if you want this product, uh, and, and they get these products for free. So these companies like in China will send my sisters, these free products in return for Amazon reviews. That's all they do. So they get free products of all this junk stuff that, that, they go later on Amazon and leave a review, but because it's against Facebook guidelines to do whatever they're doing, it's all in code. And there's like some, I don't know. I don't know at all. Anyway, black market on Amazon, all the reviews are totally fake. That is Not interesting. That's a little exaggeration, but never shop in there again. <laughs> okay. Uh, what was your, uh, what was your answer, Brandon? What's your platform of choice? Uh, Google reviews for everything. Is that right? Yeah, I, I hate Yelp. I can't I, stand Yelp. I feel like Yelp's where everyone goes to complain. So that, I'm not that's sure right. if I'm getting... It's a culture of negativity. If you, if you want to know which restaurants are the worst, you go to Yelp. Well, <laughs> I, I, I would agree with all that, but that's actually why I like it for restaurants. Yeah. Because I, I think with restaurants, generally I go to a restaurant assuming the food's you know going to be pretty good. Otherwise, they wouldn't be in business. And so I, I just want to see what the negative people have to say. Yeah, so Yelp's well, perfect It's for the me. negative people who are, are revealing all the health code violations that all these that's, restaurants that's are. That's right. Yeah, I, I, um, one, one of my first bosses, and I'm sorry to delay roulette that's a little okay. further, <laughs> he, he shared something with me that has stuck with me ever since. He said, um, customer satisfaction is the difference between expectation and perception. Reality has nothing to do with it. Yeah, that makes and sense. And so, you know, it's all about control. What do you expect? And then how did you perceive that experience? And so 
you know, with, with, with restaurants, I generally expect my, my food's you know, going to taste good. That's why I'm going out. Yeah. And so, you know, I just want to see for people who, you know, perceived it to be different. What did they have to say? That's interesting. Yeah. Thanks for sharing that. What number did we line up? Well, hold on. I, uh, well, I want to add something because you're both, you both use iPhones. Okay. I have an Android. Do you guys, is that get... how you tell people? You don't tell people you have the pixel. You say an Android. Well, I have the pixel, the pure, <laughs> I have the pure Android, the, the way Pixel. Android was meant and, and to you, be experienced. And you don't attach the number at the end. You don't want people to have know the you, have the you have the latest. You have the latest and the biggest yes. of all the Pixels. Absolutely. But anyway, everywhere I go, usually by the time I get home, uh, Google will prompt my long lock screen. How was Costa Vida? Want to leave a review? How was Cabela's? Want to leave like is, l- is let other a, people is know that your an Android experience. feature? Or That's or what is I'm that wondering. A Costa Vida feature. I'm wondering if you guys get hit. I think it's because it's a Google operating system and they're giving bias towards yeah, I don't get those I, don't that, I get that all like almost everywhere I go usually by the time I get home it then prompts tend to like, disable location services well th- so the reason I bring that up and I think it's the reason I favor Google a little bit more in terms of the reviews because I really like being bothered by well they're making it like it, it's it's very there's many times where I would have never left a review but because it was prompted and I'm sitting there with nothing to do it's like yeah sure I had a good experience I'll leave them a review Whereas I'm never going to take the time to like leave a Yelp account. I almost feel like, and this sounds like an insult and maybe it slightly is, but like people who like go and create the accounts on like the, the services like Yelp, it's almost like there's a little bit of the ego where it's like my opinion. I can't wait. Like the world can't wait to hear what I say. Whereas because everyone has a Google account and so many people have Android phones, is there, could you say that Google is getting more of like, normal people who like wouldn't normal consider people. themselves like food car- carnosaurs and whatnot. I, like Yelp is very opinionated basically. It is. And, Whereas and, Google is kind of, I feel like there's a little bit more y- Yelp. like, yeah, this is great tacos. Great. Hey, Viv- Vivint's on Yelp. Right. But that's not the industry that, that sure. it's normal. When we talk about restaurants, that's Yelp. Restaurants sure. is Yelp. That, that, it's like the same thing. And, uh, I, what I imagine, and again, this is like <laughs> anyone who's like loves Yelp, this is not the episode you should be listening to. <laughs> uh, but I feel like foodies who are like stuck up, like food people are the ones on Yelp. So you get the stuck up foodies on Yelp who yes. can, who can, they find this platform that they can talk to each other and, and they all think that they're like the, the wine tasters of the food world on Yelp. Yeah. Well, to, for all you Yelp haters out there. <laughs> uh, you know, we, we monitor, uh, you know, online reputation statistics across the country. And, uh, you know, at least from the data we see, uh, among car dealerships, I can't speak for other industries. Um, there's pockets where Yelp is very active, but it is not a major platform for most dealers, you know, totally outside, of the, outside of the West coast or major metro areas, it's almost dead. And even in those areas in the last, you know, 12 to 24 months, we're actually seeing the number of new Yelp reviews for car dealerships declining. Hmm. Yeah, that's good because I hate Yelp. Uh, <laughs> Vivint has a pretty good reputation online everywhere except Yelp. Literally everywhere. We have three to five stars. Yelp, not even close. Well, I think that's the story of most businesses, actually. I think that's true. Uh, among car dealers, the average the average review on most platforms is four. The average review on Yelp is three, give or take. I mean, it's, it's a full star lower for dealerships I, on Yelp. I, I want to dedicate like a significant portion of my budget to bringing awareness to the fact that Yelp is negative. <laughs> and, 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 and what that would do is when people are looking through our SERP and they see, oh, positive, positive, positive Yelp, what's that about? They just see, oh, it's Yelp. 
Nah, it's just the negative people in the world. That's what I want. I want to rebrand Yelp as the Negativo platform. <laughs> anyway. well, well, we can send a memo to Jeremy Stoppelman for you. Is he a Yelp guy? Hey, it's the CEO of Yelp. Oh, yeah. Big Yelp guy then. He's a big Yelp guy. <laughs> okay, we're actually out of time. Oh, man, I had a good question. I know. We're out of time. All right. Steve, thank you so much for coming on the show. My pleasure. Thank you for having uh, me. We, we uh, Reputation management, social, that's a big, pivotal part of marketing. Uh, small business owners, marketers, it's very active and it's a, it's a very popular field right now. And it's, it's, I, I imagine it's still in its infancy. If you've enjoyed this episode, we invite you to leave a positive review on iTunes, which is our review platform of choice. Uh, if you want to submit names for potential guests or get in touch with us, our email address is inbound at belowthefold.io. And that's it. Until next week, we'll catch you below the fold. Fantastic. You're <laughs> waiting for my sound bite then, weren't you? I was. <laughs>